Welcome back to the Imposter's Way podcast, the place where I keep a beginner's mind and you hopefully can keep on learning from the things that I've picked up along the way. The aim of this podcast is to explore interesting ideas from first principles. So for me, that means asking naive questions and trying to gain a true understanding of things instead of a superficial familiarity by reading a headline or two. Today, I want to spend some time making a case for Bitcoin as a ideological topic that is worth studying and potentially even a humanitarian one. So that is because to understand the seemingly obsessive nature, I mean, I like to watch humans and the obsessive nature with which this internet money infects humans all around the world is, is worth studying. I think. So let's dive into the ideological rabbit hole that is Bitcoin. If you have that weird friend who never stops talking about it, I hope I can make some sense of maybe why they don't stop talking about it. And you've had your fair warning. If you get converted to religious Bitcoinism after this, I am officially not liable. As always, transcript sources and further reading material can be found at theimpostorsway.com. And for this one in particular, it is more an essay form. I'm telling you a story, um, you know, ventured out into the realms of fiction for this one to illustrate my point. So it um, might be worth reading as well. Bitcoin infects people that get in touch with it. Being indoctrinated into Bitcoin thinking is even called orange pilling someone in the community. Like it, it, there was a pill to take for it. And that is an analogy to the matrix where you choose the red or the blue pill. In this case, the orange pill stands for Bitcoin because the Bitcoin logo always has this orange in it, right? So it's the orange coin and the orange pill is there to infect you. So, but why, you know, that is the question. Um, there are many reasons and I don't attempt to a understand the community of Bitcoiners, which there is no real community. It's everybody that kind of has something to do with it. And also I don't attempt to understand all reasons for why people choose to get obsessed with Bitcoin, but we'll cover, I think a very important one today and we'll cover different ones in future episodes. Today, I want to cover the individual freedom to use sound money. That, that, that having that freedom as an individual is something that drives a lot of Bitcoiners um, to be very passionate about the subject. Now, the question is, what that does, does that mean and why should you care? Bitcoin is sound money. Sound or hard money were used to differentiate gold and silver coins from mere paper money. These, these coins make a sound when you drop them on a table and they're out of hard material, right? That makes sense. Bitcoin does not make a sound when you drop it on the table, but Bitcoin strives to have the same properties that gold and silver money has or had and, and tries to perfect them even. So no, could, no king could easily create a lot more gold for himself or a lot more silver for himself. It is hard to find and mine gold, and it requires time and lots of labor. And Bitcoin is the digital version of that. It is very hard to mine new Bitcoin. And we even know the maximum amount of Bitcoin, the maximum supply 
that will ever be mined ever, and that is 21 million. Sound money is money which supply, meaning the total amount of that money that can exist, cannot be easily manipulated by powerful entities. Ideological Bitcoiners believe that giving the individual all around the world, and no matter how rich or poor they are, access to sound money is an important humanitarian goal. The reason for that is that historically powerful entities, so that is kings, governments, central banks, any combination of those three, have always used their power to manipulate money until things turn bad. And many are seeing the signs of this excessive manipulation happening right now in the US dollar, in the euro and many other currencies. Now, we can discuss and argue whether or not that excessive manipulation is happening. We can argue whether or not it is warranted. But I think today I will not focus on that particular because that goes very much to the details of kind of what trade-offs in modern economics you, you want to make. And I'm by far no expert in it. And when you're listening to this, probably you also aren't. So I want to make an illustration of how that manipulation looks like, why it is happening, and then we can judge for ourselves whether or not we want to um, see it as positive, as negative, and potentially even partially opt out by using sound money. So how does that manipulation look like? So for that, I want to tell you a story today. To understand the worries of many economists and Bitcoiners alike, let's make the government or central banks, or let's just group both of them together and say they are a person. Just to illustrate it. So, meet Giorgio. <laughs> I promise not to roll that R all the time. A friend of yours who loves good company and sometimes throws lavish parties. And you are the other character in the story, okay? So, today is one of those days where you expect Giorgio to throw one of those parties. You arrive at Giorgio's lakeside estate and you see him on the terrace waving. He looks a bit like Leonardo DiCaprio and The Great Gatsby. So you get out of the limo, right, as you do, and you start heading towards the house. Crossing the well-groomed lawn, you have some time to wonder how Giorgio affords all of this. Giorgio always has nice things, and he loves to share. The black limo that picked you up was unnecessary. You don't mind taking the bike, but you couldn't help but smile at the look of the driver opening you the door and the black shiny car. Giorgio always takes care of his own. You now make your way through the rose garden and remember that he told you how much it cost. Roughly, at least. He's always a bit intransparent with that. And that he had to take on a loan for redoing all the groundwork and buying the roses and you know, paying a gardener monthly to take care of it. Walking through the roses now, you think that it was probably worth it. Giorgio's handshake is a bit sweatier than usual. While you were making it up the wide stone steps onto the terrace, he did not look at you, but fixated on something on the ground. Unusual for his naturally confident nature. A cup of tea later, you start to get a sense of why the swagger and the confidence waned since you've met him last. The interest payments are starting to suffocate me, he says. 
no friends around today. Usually Giorgio is always surrounded by a full entourage. Today it's strangely quiet in the big stone hall and Giorgio seems small in his chair. I've asked the others to chip in more for the parties and to maintain the house, you know. He continues with a slight shake in his voice. And most did chip in, in the beginning at least, but it is still not enough. And now many just do not come anymore and they're not paying their share and they're just avoiding me. But you are going to get another pay raise, aren't you? This is you now, trying to calm the guy down. Giorgio sighs but summons some optimism. Yes, I, I hope so. I'll have to cover those debt payments. Or you start cutting costs, maybe. Let the gardener go and some of the employees at the house. That was too much. You immediately regret that wild proposal. Ha, sure, good one. And all the friends I have that have gotten used to all these things. He waves his arms around frantically as to summarize all the beautiful interior as well as the pool area outside with a single gesture. They'll still like me? Of course they won't. They'll go to other parties and I will be the one that disappointed them. You get his point. You know, having many friends and impressing them is part of his identity. It's what drives Giorgio and you understand that that is hard to change. And what is it you wanted to confess to me then? You said so on the phone, you ask. On the way out, you ignore the limo driver waving at you to get into the car. You need some air and a 30-minute walk home will do you good. Leaving the shadow of the big estate, the roses and the perfectly green grass behind you, you feel kind of gross inside. That I could believe this was real and that it was sustainable. Anger, disappointment, you're not sure what to feel, but certainly it feels like you stepped through a mirror, through another dimension and like an illusion dissolved right in front of you. I started stealing from you, all of you, my friends. I had no choice. It was for us to keep living this way and to pay the poor gardener. I couldn't let him go. That's what Giorgio said. And walking down the black tarmac now on the road, you have left the shiny world of Giorgio and you find yourself in a new reality. You'll have to find new friends, make new choices in the real world and leave the matrix behind you. The end. Now we have to bring that story of Giorgio to reality. Are we living above our means? The White House just posted a statement today as of the time of this recording, that the $3.5 trillion they want to spend in the upcoming months for infrastructure and all kinds of things to make the country a nicer place to live in, to work in and so on, will cost exactly zero dollars. And that is not a joke, but literally the statement that was sent out. Now, while every critical eight-year-old might raise their brows after reading such a statement, the case for them is very simple. Our future selves will pay for it. 
especially the big corporation that will earn so much more, right? All of those corporations and rich individuals that will make a lot more money in the future, pay a lot more taxes, and that will pay for this bill. So we don't have to pay for it now. Does that sound familiar? Can you see Giorgio in that picture? Economic reality catches up with you at some point. And a debt cycle does not go on forever. No common person that I could find, and almost none of the experts, believe that it can. For the past decade, and especially since the 2008 financial crisis, governments and central banks have been piling on debt. That is public information. You, we can look this up and, and they're sharing that with us. To maintain the standards that we live with and as well as fulfill promises of a better future, politicians are incentivized to spend even more money. That money has to come from somewhere. Just like with Giorgio, we're taking on more debt. And that is the only way to keep things as they are and to spend more money on nice things to increase our quality of living. We also have to cover our debt payments with it. So we partially take on new debt to cover our debt payments. That is what we call a debt cycle. And now we're translating this analogy of Giorgio step by step. Taxes are you chipping in knowingly. You know that it is to help the government pay for things that it provides for you and society at large. Taxes is like paying your part at Giorgio's parties. If they do not get too high, you're probably really happy to pay them because you also benefit and you believe in the community. But now comes the part where Giorgio disappoints us. The part that breaks the illusion and that drives people to take the orange pill. Giorgio stole from you. Maybe the story is a bit dramatic here. The analogy is a bit dramatically dramatic here and, and, and theft is a strong word. I know that. Yet the more I think of this whole case, the more conviction I get to stand behind that comparison, at least for waking people up to the reality of it. And then we can reframe it afterwards, but it's worth making it a bit more dramatic than it sounds because it's economics and it's rather boring. Yet it is pretty dramatic. When more money is created, and that happens unknown to you and almost all citizens, we, we call that the inflation of the monetary supply, which is a tool central banks have. That is just creating more of the currency that they issue. And that is not illegal. Therefore, it can't really be theft, at least in the legal sense. But making 30% more euros out of thin air will make the individual euro worth less. I hope that intuitively makes sense. That is a 30% devaluing of your savings that you hold in euros. And because you don't know it is happening, it is at least, if it's not theft, it's at least not nice. Not much nicer than Giorgio stealing from his friends to fund your parties. And just like Giorgio 
Governments do not have a choice here, really. They can ask openly for more contributions by raising taxes. That would be Giorgio asking you to chip in more for the party or reduce spending and being fiscally responsible, which would be throwing less parties. Both of those options, while being explored, do not really work well in our modern democracies. Giorgio and the government really like being popular and spending less money because we don't really have it, or raising taxes drastically uh, will not lead to you being re-elected. So instead, they choose the back door and create more money to reduce their debt. Not in nominal terms, so the amount of dollars or euros in debt will stay the same, but just the value of that debt. Since 2008, and especially since COVID hit, governments have been doing so in unprecedented amounts, increasing the monetary base, that is. This data is public, and I really urge you to check it out on the official government websites and the statistics websites you can find. Googling for the M2, M2 money supply here will help. There's some differentiations there that you can dive into, but I think that's a good starting point. But... Assuming that you trust me in saying that it is public information that is given out by central banks that this supply is being increased, let's kind of understand a bit more and break down how that reducing debt through printing more money works. Because that is an economic accounting trick of epic proportions that does not fit into the analogy of Giorgio running his estate a bit with a deficit because he just doesn't have those tricks up his sleeve. As a central bank, you click a button and you make, for example's sake, 3 trillion euros appear in your bank account without real economic activity driving that. So the wealth here, well, 3 trillion is probably wealthy, right? It's, it's wealth, uh, is created without economic counter action. Therefore, let's say that creation process of clicking that button takes one second. The real wealth in the euro world is still the same as before you click that big fat red button. And I really hope they do have a red button for this. So what happens, the same wealth just rebalances, right? The three trillion is worth something. That can be spent on something it's going to be accepted just as a euro that was earned by doing economic activity by providing value to society so it's not that those three trillions are worthless they're worth exactly the same as three trillions that are in the economy doing their job so the same wealth just rebalances we don't get anything for free here and while that might sound still a bit confusing i hope it's a starting point I always imagine it a bit like a pool because there, let's say you have water in a pool, there's a liquid, right, water, and the pool has a certain size. And let's assume that the water is the kind of economic value, the wealth in that society, and the pool is the monetary supply. And if you increase the size of the pool, um, that part which was newly created now gets water too because the water will just kind of rebalance to, to be even surfaced. 
I'm not sure if that makes sense for your brain. It does for mine. And all I'm trying to do here is not to give a massive lecture on economy because I'm really not qualified to do that. But I'm trying to give you a starting point and I implore you to inform yourself and read up on what your central bank and government is up to and what debt they're running. Because in the end, you'll be asked to pay the bill at least partially at some point. And we don't want you to be stolen from. Here, again, disclaimer with the definition that I mean stealing in the sense that you have to pay for something that you did not voluntarily choose to spend. Not that it is illegal by law, right? Now that we kind of understand monetary inflation, meaning that we increase the amount of money, inflating that away is basically the process and the only tool that maintains the impression of not cutting back on spending that governments and central banks have in time of economic stagnation, or at least slower growth. Basically, it allows you to keep up piling debt and spend more and give the populace the impression that we are investing in ourselves and we're building better roads and we're building better internet infrastructure and all of, kind of these kind of things without having the economic motor to back that up. It is very, very easy to argue that after international lockdowns, high levels of uncertainty, production slowing down and supply chain issues globally, that we are in a situation like that now. And with that, I mean a phase of economic stagnation or slower growth than previously combined with a phase of increased government spending. We had stimulus checks in the US, we have supporting small businesses and big businesses alike in Europe a lot um, without economic activity balancing that out, right? The question is who pays for it? And we have understood hopefully a bit that intricate cycle of, of accounting um, and monetary base, but in the end, somebody has to pay for it. In the end, only economic activity really creates value and wealth in a society and pressing a big fat red button does not. To recap, that is a intense episode today, at least for me recording this. Let me try to quickly recap the main points in easy words. Why does the individual need the right to sound money or the freedom to choose it? To money that is not being diluted by creating more of it without you knowing. That was the question we started out with in the beginning of this episode. And the reason is because governments are and have historically abused that power to print more money to the point of making your savings, the cash on your bank account, worth a lot less. Sound money is a protection against that power abuse. Wealthy people, historically, have always had ways to deal with inflation because, well, they're more informed about economics traditionally or they have people around them that are, and they have access to different international currencies and things like gold, meaning that they can take their wealth, they can take their economic activity, and they can move it somewhere else. Everyone 
has access to Bitcoin. Everyone can buy and hold Bitcoin because it is global and it is permissionless. And you can buy even with just $20 savings in a country that has that is only rich in corruption. You can buy Bitcoin. You can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. And that is the humanitarian motivation to enable all individuals to choose an alternative money, a sound money, to not be at the mercy of the government and hoping that they will act responsibly with the power that they have um, on that currency. So it is really about choice. And I think that is incredibly important. We've recently read headlines about El Salvador adopting Bitcoin as legal tender. And while a lot of Bitcoiners are big fans of Bitcoin finding more adoptions, there is definitely a huge criticism of mandating individuals, in this case citizens and business owners in El Salvador, to accept Bitcoin. Because the spirit and the humanitarian aim is really for people that need it to adopt it, meaning that people that want to choose, that have to choose a sounder money than their local currency maybe, have the ability to do so. And I think that is something that I find a very hard time with criticizing. I always like to try to take the other side. And there's lots of people that criticize Bitcoin for all kinds of things. But for this simple aim, I have a very hard time finding any reasonable counter counter arguments, right? It is a potential balance to, to, to give the individual some power to say, well, in case my central banks and government abuse this power a bit too much, I have an option. Most economists agree that the current debt levels in most Western countries and actually most countries of that matter, will lead to some ugly outcomes. They just disagree on how it plays out. And what Bitcoiners say, having a safe haven of sound money is important in any case. Sound money, is, it's not bad to have a sound money around, no matter how it plays out, because the debt cycle will not go on forever. Everybody kind of agrees on that. And that forces our economies to always keep growing and those embedded growth obligations can suffocate us. And with that, I mean our economies, our governments, and us maybe personally, just like they did with Georgia. Okay, you've made it. That was all that I wanted to deconstruct today. I hope I could make this talking about things like central banks and debt cycles and inflation of monetary supply somewhat interesting. The analogy of Giorgio's life and residence will not fit perfectly everywhere. But I feel that, you know, taking some creative liberties here serves the purpose. And what, what is the purpose? To bring awareness that informed citizens like you should always keep their governments in check and inform themselves on how the household is run. Because you, as the productive individual and citizen, will have to pay for the bill, at least partially. And listen to, if you listen to what I just said, the purpose here for me is not to convince you of Bitcoin. I just find it very interesting that critical thinking Bitcoiners 
are informing themselves about these topics and they are open to counter arguments and they see in Bitcoin a technological choice in case it is needed. And their assumption is, or their observation is, that it will be needed and that it is needed right now. And I find it important that these two things are separated. There is the analysis of how our economies are run and that we as citizens will have to inform ourselves on it as long as not everything is just always up and to the right, meaning that we constantly get richer, our standards of living constantly get higher, and I think we all have a sense that this will not go on forever and it is coming to an end. And that is why informing yourself on a political and economical level about these things that might, might not interest you, they did, definitely did not interest me for the longest time, is worth your time. You don't have to spend a second on Bitcoin, but spend some seconds on that. And with that, Giorgio and I will wave you goodbye from our deserted villa on the top of the hill. And you can read this kind of more essay-ish episode on theimpostorsway.com as a transcript. You can share it with a friend who might be interested in it or might be confused about those dogmatic Bitcoiners. And with that, until next time, I'm very grateful for your attention and time that you spent with Giorgio and me today. Keep your debt cycle in check, please, personally, and have a great day.